Hey everybody, welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower and I am here by myself to do the Wednesday night case updates. And I have so freaking much to tell you guys. It is crazy. Things, as I'm sure you know, have really been hopping in the Daybell Vallo case. If you didn't see our live stream earlier, you may not know that Chad was, Chad Daybell was arraigned in district court today on all of his charges. He did plead not guilty, but here are his charges. First degree murder for Tammy Daybell, first degree murder for J.J. Vallow, first degree murder for Tylee Ryan, first degree uh, conspiracy to commit first degree murder on Tammy JJ and Tylee. So there's six charges plus there are two more charges for insurance fraud. And those charges are for Tammy when she was, uh, you know, he updated her life insurance not long before he killed her. And so there's fraud there as well. So that's everything that he's charged with at this moment. He actually has more charges than uh Lori does which is interesting but we'll get to more of that later the big news today as we know Lori last week was found to be incompetent to stand trial but restorative and restorative means hey she can go to the hospital for a while and get some meds and some counseling and she'll she'll probably be you know okay to stand trial yeah Deborah I agree it was very hard to hear him say not guilty so not surprised though this guy is so arrogant. There's no way he was just going to stand up there and say, yep, I did it. He's going to try to get the best deal he can. The, the, the thing is that the potential of the death penalty being on the table is huge. And we're waiting to hear for sure if the prosecutor is going to seek that. And if he does, I think that's when we may start seeing some pleas. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Welcome, Paula, Carmen, Deborah. I appreciate you being here. Okay, so we know that uh, Mark Means filed that he had an evaluation of Lori and that she was found incompetent to stand trial, um, you know, and restorative may need some, some treatment. That happened last week. So yesterday we saw the prosecutor's office withdraw their... their um, dissent about that. They were they were challenging it. They were saying, nah, I don't know about that. They withdrew it yesterday. They may have had their own expert evaluate her. I think that's pretty likely, but I don't know that for 100%. So then today, we got this order. And I'm just going to read it to you. And as I go, I'm going to explain what it means because I did consult with a mental health professional who knows about these things to help me um, understand what it all means. So here's what we've got. On March 8th, 2021, the court entered an order of competency evaluation for Lori, which we didn't know until recently. Thereafter, the court and the parties received completed psychological assessment, the completed psychological assessment, which determined that the defendant is not competent to proceed. 
The state advised the court that it may contest the findings and the court scheduled the matter for a hearing on June 16th. On June 4th, the state filed its withdrawal of of contest, therefore having considered the evaluation and there being no objection from the state. The court finds the dependent, the defendant, sorry, sorry, I've been running, getting everything ready for you guys if I sound a little out of breath. The court finds the defendant lacks fitness to proceed in that the defendant is incapable of assisting in the defense of this case and the court finds the defendant does lack capacity to make informed decisions about treatment and the court finds that the defendant is not dangerously mentally ill. Okay, so here's what has been ordered. It is ordered. The proceedings in this case are suspended for now. The above-named defendant, Lori Vallow, is committed to the custody of the director of Idaho Department of Health and Welfare for care and treatment at an appropriate facility for a period not exceeding 90 days. Okay, so that will likely be Blackfoot South, which is the low, the closest state hospital. They do have a criminal unit, so there is a place for her to go where she will be held and also receive some treatment. The Fremont County Sheriff's shall transport the defendant to and from the facility. This is a funny one because sometimes there's a little argument about who has to do it. And um, so it's funny that it's in the order because the judge and the prosecutor probably knew that the two counties would probably argue about who had to drive her there. So then they say an evaluation of the defendant's mental conditions shall be performed at the time of the defendant's admission to the facility and that a progress report shall be prepared on the defendant's mental condition. This progress report shall include an opinion as to whether the defendant is fit to proceed or if not, whether there is substantial probability the defendant will be fit to proceed within the foreseeable future. So they want to know, is she going to be fit to stand trial? Are they going to be able to treat her and get her to a point where she can assist in her defense so she can't assist in her defense here's what we think this is conjecture but we feel like she is delusional she's not taking any of this seriously she's seeing um that chad's gonna save her that she's a god that they're going to find out that the kids were zombies and so was Tammy and so it was okay to kill them. And she's not processing the fact that she is charged with first-degree murder of her own children. So she's delusional. There were some things I read that indicated that she there's been some attempts to treat her that she has refused. Now, one of the things that this order does is she can't refuse. So they can medicate her and they can forcibly medicate her to, because the whole goal here is fitness for trial, right? So let's see. Um, If at any time the director of the facility to which the defendant is committed determines that the defendant is fit to proceed, such determination shall be reported immediately to the court. So they want to know as soon as possible when she's well enough to 
come back and go to court, they want her back. Now, it also says if during commitment under this order, a defendant who has the capacity to make informed decisions about treatment refuses any and all treatment or the only treatment available to restore competency for trial, the director of the facility shall immediately report such refusal to the court because they can force her. They can force her to receive treatment at least long enough to be uh, competent to stand trial. So that's where we're at. So she will likely go to Blackfoot South, which is a hospital about 25 miles from where I live. It is a state hospital. It can go on indefinitely. You're right, Deidre. If they find out, if they if they can't get her um, to a point of being able to understand the charges and be able to assist in her defense at all, she could just remain hospitalized literally forever. It, it won't because... We know that some of this is a belief on her part and some of it is a big game because she's so very manipulative. And so I don't, she's going to get bored with this. This is not going to get her out of these charges. That's the thing. You know, she's either going to be housed in the jail or in the hospital or in prison, but she's not getting out. So this game will get not fun after a while. Um, And she will you know, eventually cooperate with treatment, I feel like. Because here's the thing, you guys. She wasn't incompetent when these crimes were committed. People who are incompetent don't hide their crimes. They don't try to run away. Oh, let's see, she ran to Hawaii, didn't she? They don't try to cover up or lie about what they did. Because they are, they have no capacity to understand that what they did was wrong. That is not the case here. So this is stuff that's going on since going in, into jail. Because she was very much aware of what she was doing. And just having a wacky belief doesn't make you incompetent. So there's more going on here than, than that. So we'll, we shall see. We'll be keeping an eye on this. I just wanted to say welcome Fran and Jacqueline and Gigi and Deidre and Patsy. It's nice to have all of you here with me here in the chat. Yeah, she did check out long ago. But you know what? Her perception of reality was pretty darn good when she ran to Hawaii with her new husband to avoid the police. She did a lot of evading and covering up of her crimes. People who are incompetent don't do that. They just get, commit random crimes and wander around covered in blood. I mean, they don't they don't know, you know. Uh, the the mental health professional that I talked to said they're probably seeing her as being having uh, um, grave disability. Grave disability means you can't take care of yourself. It means you can't acknowledge that you are unwell and need treatment. Hey, innocuous. Hey, Sherry. So this is their opportunity to put her in the hospital and basically force her to have treatment. So we will keep an eye on this. This is for a period of at maximum 90 days. Uh, Mouth of the South, aren't they supposed to be tried together? Actually, no. Okay, so they are. In the case of 
destruction of and conspiracy to destroy evidence and and to conceal evidence right in in the in the kids bodies that's a whole other case now we've got first degree murder charges we're not sure what's going to happen to that other case if it's going to get rolled into this one or not um but they are not their cases are not connected on the actual first degree murder charges so chad's trial can just move forward and Lori's can be on hold until she's well enough or stops her games or whatever whatever's going to happen here with her but they will move forward with chad they are moving let's see in two weeks so on the 23rd of june at 9 30 in the morning there's another hearing and at that hearing, they're going to set the trial date for Chad. Well, and there will be a pretrial conference. That's often where um, deals are made is in that pretrial conference. So we don't know yet if this will go to trial. I really feel like it depends a lot on what the when the um, prosecutor comes out with whether or not they're going after the death penalty. So we will see about that. But that's what's going on with Lori. So she will be or may even has already been transported to a hospital where she will receive the treatment that she needs so that she things can move on for her. So here are a few other things going on. I'm going to share this. This is uncorroborated. And so I want you to uh, take this all, several things I'm going to tell you now are floating around out in the world. I think what's happening is that some of what testimony was given in the grand jury is starting to leak out onto the internets. So here's one of the things that we found, and I'm not going to give any sources on it because I can't corroborate them. I want you to just hear this and you decide for yourself. I have a confidential source with ties to Garth Daybell's wife. So that's Chad's son. They said that Chad called Garth the night Tammy died and asked him to help move Tammy's body to the bed after she was dead to make it look like she died in her sleep. Reportedly, Garth confided in his wife and then asked her to lie to the FBI. Later, a family member overheard them talking about the events from the night and reached out to the FBI, which this person says it's refreshing to hear about an ethical family member who put truth and justice for a victim first. As always, these are allegations, not facts supported by evidence. Please remember not to state as a matter of fact that Garth aided his father in moving his mom's body. Uh, this person verified it as much as they can. There was apparently a document related to this that contained this family member's name. So there are reports that Garth was working at a haunted house the night that his mother died somewhere locally and that his dad called him and asked him to come home because there was some kind of an emergency. And 
that his mom was sick and that he needed to come home. And so what's what's being said now is that he, in fact, went and assisted with moving um, the body. Um, I wanted to explain this a little bit because that seems awful hearing it um, on its face like that. If you didn't grow up in a what we call TBM or true blue Mormon household, you don't understand the kind of authority that dad has over everyone. Dad holds the priesthood, which makes him the superior member and authority of the entire family. Now, I grew up with a feminist mom that didn't put up with any of that bullshit. But it has appeared that up to the point that this all went down, Chad's family was, in fact, very obedient to him. And that word obedience comes up a lot in Mormonism and particularly in the face of women and children being obedient to the father or the priesthood holder in their house. And so it's very possible that Garth just believed dad's story and wanted to help put her in bed so that it looked like she died in her sleep or so that she was, you know, looked more comfortable. I don't know. I don't know what he may have said, or maybe he didn't say anything. He may have just said, I need your help to do this. And in very staunch Mormon families, you really, you don't question that priesthood holder. So I'm not super surprised that Garth would do it. I don't think that Garth was involved in his mother's death at all. And I don't think that he knew that his dad killed his mom. I don't. But is it possible that he assisted? It is. Now, here's the thing. Garth testified before the grand jury. It's very possible he just told this whole story. And that's why this is leaking now. Because um, I think that's kind of what we're seeing is some stuff is coming out now because of that. But yes, it's very important to understand the context. <laughs> Obedience sounds like what you call a dog in training. I don't know. You know, if you grew up a staunch Mormon, that word obedience was around a lot. And it was you were particularly as a woman or as a child to be obedient to the priesthood holder in your household. So something just to understand. It's very likely that Garth would have helped his dad not really understanding what happened here. Because I don't believe for a minute that he knew that his mother, that his father had killed his mother. Something else that's been floating around in the ethers are more snippets of this phone call that someone uh, recorded with Melanie Gibb. This is another little snippet. Of course, we haven't heard the entire phone call in its entirety. As we understand it, the police have it. It's been released by various podcasters around the internet various pieces we've already played another little another little section of it i managed to score this one as well this is they're talking about uh when Lori and alex were starting to plan 
Charles Vallow's death. It's also some about some of the things that Lori did to Charles before his death. So sound quality is not awesome. Remember, this is just a phone call being recorded. So um, I'm going to play this for you now. months and months for them to figure out how to come up with a plan basically and I guess it comes down to it is she's frustrated him to every level she's left she says he's she, she, she puts it in her mind like oh look how he's behaving he's so different now he's this and that and this and that well Charles is upset because she just tried to destroy his life um, she told him she you know she he was out of town when she found out and he was uh, in another state and when she flew back home she took she took his truck and hid it, took all the keys and took them from him, oh, uh, emptied out of his clothes in the house. I mean, tried to destroy his work, oh his life. Oh, goodness. And I was like, hey, do you think that's a bit extreme? Like, are you sure you're supposed to do that? She goes, no, the spirits tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm say, yeah. And so, anyway, she, um, she tells him, which is stupid. She says, I'm going to destroy you. She's like, you are not... Charles anymore. You are Ned. I forgot his last name. Snyder. Okay. So that is a snippet that's been um, roaming around the internet to give it a little bit of context. She was talking about um, at the very beginning, she was talking about Lori and Alex and how they were trying to make a plan to set up some kind of way for Alex to kill Charles in self-defense. Then Melanie, and I, and if you've heard Melanie Gibb give testimony, if you've heard her give an interview, her voice is very distinctive and it's, that's her on that recording. I mean, I, I, I can't corroborate where this recording came from, of course, but, um, if you're not sure that's her, go to eastidahonews.com and go search her. And there's several interviews there. And go listen to her voice. It is without a doubt her. But what she's talking about is that at one point when things had gotten really bad between Lori and Charles, he had been gone on a business trip. And when he got home, he flew into an airport and she had come and taken his truck. So he didn't have a way home. She had emptied his work bank account of many thousands of dollars she stole took his clothes like he got home to the house and he didn't have anything he couldn't even get in he didn't have keys he had to call the police this is where you may have seen that body cam footage where he's talking to the police about her while they're helping him get into his own house and they're talking about he's telling them all this stuff about how she says i'm not me anymore i'm someone named ned schneider because that's what they talk about, that he's not Charles anymore. That's why it's okay to kill him is because he's Ned Schneider. Um, she also talks about how the spirit, uh, which is the way that um, they, they, she means the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is actually the term that Mormons use. She's getting these intuitive messages about things that she's supposed to do, actions she's supposed to take. The spirit is telling her to do these terrible things to Charles. She tells Charles, I'm going to destroy you. You hear her. You hear Melanie say all of those things. Um, you know, it, it's come out pretty clearly that Melanie 
absolutely knew that this was going to happen, that they were going to kill him and and make it self-defense. She's made it clear that she, in some other parts of this um, phone call, that she knew for months and months and months that the kids were dead. I mean, bad, bad stuff's coming out on Melanie, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So she did testify at the, um, in the grand jury. She was on the list of people who were subpoenaed for the grand jury. And we know she was here because she was served. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. She was served some papers from Mark Means. So we don't know at this point, does she have some kind of immunity? And did she tell all of this? Because that phone call has been given to law enforcement. They have it. They know. And so, you know, was she given the opportunity to tell the truth? Does she have some kind of a plea deal um, or some kind of immunity? We don't know. Or is she, in fact, going to face some charges? That's possible, too. Definitely a situation that we are keeping an eye on because um, it's come becoming quite clear that she lied her ass off um, in the preliminary hearing and to the police. Um, in all of the interviews that she has done, she's known way more than she has said and, you know, could have told these things to the police while, you know, these children were missing and everyone's looking for them and she knew they were dead. I mean, you may remember that she was actually at Lori's house the weekend that JJ disappeared. Uh, it's believed the weekend that JJ died, which was the weekend of September 19th. Um that uh, she, Melanie Gibb, was actually at Lori's house. So lots more to come on that, I think. Uh, the other thing going on with Melanie Gibb. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about when Melanie Gibb was here for, she lives in Arizona, but when she was here for the um, grand jury, she was served by um, a process server for, a bunch of things Mark Means has subpoenaed all kinds of stuff from her phone calls, text messages, um, social media accounts, including her passwords, all kinds of stuff. Well, he only gave her like five or six days to get all of that to him. That date came and went on June 1st. And yes, Melanie Gibbs is odd. And I have felt like she's kind of been Lori's acolyte in a lot of ways. And it seems as though she did has covered for her way more than she's admitted. So Means filed today a contempt of court order or a, it's not a contempt of court order. He wants Melanie to respond with why he shouldn't order her or shouldn't hold her in contempt. It's very strange. It's poorly written. It's probably done incorrectly. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but anyway, he's mad because she hasn't turned anything over. She also doesn't appear to have an attorney, which I feel like at this point might be a real good idea. Melanie Gibb, you need an attorney. Uh, so we're kind of waiting and watching to see what's going to go on with that. Do I believe Melanie killed anyone herself? I don't. I don't think she did. But I do think she knew. And she knew what some of the plans were. 
and that she may have been able to do something about it. Like example, Charles, she knew they were going to try to set him up and, and some kind of self-defense situation. You know, she had, she could have done something there. The kids, I don't know for sure. Uh, yeah, Deborah, the circle is getting bigger and bigger. And that's something we've been talking about for a while is that there are more people involved here than what we know of. And now we've got Garth, um, I believe unintentionally involved. Now we have Melanie knowing all kinds of stuff and not telling anybody what she knew. Um, yeah, and they did have a weird vibe. I, I really think that um, Melanie is kind of fangirl worry a lot. And so she's been really torn about what to, you know, where her loyalty should lie. Um, obviously, she's made some big mistakes. So we don't know what's going to be said for sure. So that's what's happened. Um, today in court was interesting. Um, Kay Woodcock was there. And um, the three of the Daybell children were there. Garth, Emma, and Seth. There are five. So three of them were in court. And here's an interesting one. A woman who is the ex-wife of Ian Pulowski. So Ian Pulowski is married to Lori Vallow's niece, Melanie. There's two Melanies. She's the niece. She's kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. But there are lots of questions about what she knew and what her involvement was, too. Her name is now Melanie Pulowski. It was Melanie Boudreau. Well, Ian Pulowski's ex-wife is pretty concerned about this whole situation and pretty concerned about letting him see their children if he is involved with a woman who is involved in this mess. And she was there at the hearing today, which I found really, really interesting. So, so many things happening behind the scenes, but we're starting to get a picture of what's really going on here. Uh, Paula says if she had told police about the plan after Charles' death, they might have arrested Lori and Alex and JJ and Tylee and Tammy would still be alive. Yes, exactly. She had the potential to at least try to stop this plan is what it appears to be. There's other stuff going around about the phone call, but I'm not going to share any of it because it's just a transcription without the actual audio. And so I don't have any way to validate that at all, at least with the recordings. We know, hey, that sounds just like Melanie Gibb. We have something. Some of these other transcriptions that are going around, anybody could have made those up. We don't know because if the audio isn't with them, then we can't share that. There's a lot of stuff going on with some other podcasters being accused of being involved um, with some of the defense attorneys and releasing information that was given to them privately. And we're just not jumping in on that bandwagon. Um, you know, I always tell you um, that, you know, if I if it's corroborated, great. If it's not, I always tell you that. And we don't release anything we don't have permission to. Now, if we just find it out there in the world, we will release it. Because if it's out there publicly, then anybody can, right? 
but I will let you know, you know, like that, that recording I just played for you. I can't verify the origin of it, but I can tell you that that sounds just like Melanie Gibb. So, uh, yeah, and, and Charles might still be alive if Melanie had said something. Exactly. Yeah. She could have at least tried to prevent all the deaths. She could have. And why didn't she tell what she knew? Uh, loyalty to Lori. Fear of Chad. You know, when she was testifying in Chad's preliminary hearing on the conspiracy and, and evidence uh, destruction charges, she could not look at Chad. The um, defense attorney, John Pryor, when he was cross-examining her, he was really mad at her because he said she just kept looking at Prosecutor Wood and she was getting cues from him. That's not what was happening. She could not face Chad. She was looking the other way so she didn't have to look at him. Because if she looked at John Pryor, Chad was sitting right next to her or to him. You know what I'm saying? It was very clear to me watching that that she did not want to look him in the face. And so, you know, I feel like there may have been a time when she believed what they were doing and has now maybe seen the light a little bit and told the truth partially. But the problem is, in not telling the truth, she's got herself in trouble. But she still would have been implicated, even if she had told the truth back at that preliminary hearing months ago. She still would have been implicated because it sounds like she knew well before Charles died that that was a, a setup they were working on. And did she know beforehand that they were going to kill the kids? We don't know for sure. But we will find out because the police do have that recording. So what we're getting is just snippets here and there. But fortunately, law enforcement does have it. Uh, I think we're going to find out Melanie Gibb, ha Gibb has been given full immunity on this whole situation. She may have. It's very possible. Um, you know, the other person that we have questions about is Zulema Pestenis, and that's who was married to Alex Cox very briefly before he died. She has some conditional immunity. We don't know if that's only in Arizona or if it's in Idaho as well, but we do know that exists. And so we also know that she lawyered up real fast when Alex died. And so we haven't really heard much from her, but she did testify in the grand jury hearing as well. What was Melanie Gibbs' childhood like? I don't know. We don't know a lot about her. We know that she has children. We know that she has a son with autism. Uh, we know that those kids have been mostly with their dad as she's gone through a lot of different things. We know that she was briefly married uh, to uh, David, um, I can't ever think of his last name. Anyway, he also testified in the grand jury or in the uh, preliminary hearing because he was there that weekend as well. They've been very briefly married and are now getting a divorce. Hey, Kat, welcome. So lots of things to conjecture at this point. You know, they're going to put Lori in the hospital. They're going to try to get her to come around to reality. If she doesn't, she's not free. She will be locked up in a psychiatric facility until she is fit for trial. That's how this works. So 
we'll have to see what she's willing to come around with because this behavior she's got going on now started after she was in jail. So is this an act? We don't know, but uh, it is, you know, definitely being taken seriously, which it has to be. If there's any question she's not fit to stand trial, you'll want to get that worked out because you do not want appeals later saying that she was not fit to stand trial and the courts didn't recognize that and the prosecutor didn't recognize that. You don't want that. So this 30 day, there's 90 day stay at the state hospital will be a really good thing for her in that, well, just a good thing for the case in general that this, you know, attempts were made here. Hey, Denise, welcome. Cranky says, Pryor was very rude to David. Yeah, David Warwick. That's his name. I can never remember his last name. Yeah, he was hard of hearing and Pryor was mumbling on purpose. He was. He was a real jerk about it. Uh, court today was kind of weird. We couldn't really hear. Um, like, the mic wasn't working in front of John Pryor. And um, Chad, Chad only just said he understood the charges and that he pled not guilty to every one of them. That was the only speaking that he did. There wasn't much going on other than that. We couldn't see him particularly well, honestly. It was um, the the camera was right on the judge. And usually it's like sort of back so that and to the side so that you can see everyone. It was like right on the judge. And I guess for this hearing, I mean, it was mostly just the judge reading the charges, making sure he understands the charges and taking his plea. So, you know, not much more there. It was hard to hear. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if it's any better, hopefully, in two weeks when they do their hearing to set the trial date. Curious about when that will be, because I know trials are pushed out pretty far right now because of COVID. And Idaho's a little slow to recover because that's the kind of state we are. Um, so there still are restrictions on court proceedings, the, the um, you know, in-person attendance was very limited. So I don't know. I'll be surprised if it's not until, I won't be surprised if it's not until 2022, honestly. Does the Idaho News have a better video of the hearing? They were the ones filming the, the hearing, supposedly, but maybe they were at a different angle than what we had. I don't know. The judge has a YouTube account where we can stream it direct. Because we can stream East Idaho News, but technically that's not our stream. And the judge's one is public. So anyway, just trying to follow the rules as best we can whenever we can. Uh, but we will be keeping you all updated as things change and roll out. You know, uh, things might get a little quiet now. Now that Lori is being sent to the hospital and Chad has been arraigned, we may not hear tons of stuff other than What's going to happen with this Melanie Gibbs situation? We'll see. We may see some things there. And then, of course, the trial date being set in two weeks. And, of course, we have other cases. It might not feel like it right now, but this this case is, boy, when it's hot, it's hot. So we do try to cover it as much as we can. Uh, I, we did yesterday live stream the sentencing of um, Drip. Why can't I think of his first name right now? Um, he he killed someone in our community 
that this case has been around for Brian Drips. Brian Drips, good heavens, why can't I say that? So he did uh, kill Angie Dodge. And the thing that you have to understand about that is how very important this case is to our community. And that's why we live streamed it. I know we have talked about this case on the show before, but we haven't actually covered the actual event. But it was a really important one for us because someone was um, wrongfully convicted in that case and served 20 years. And so they now have the right man. He His DNA matches and he has actually confessed and pled guilty. So Brian Drips is going away for 20 years. It doesn't feel like enough, but hopefully... You know, they say his health is really bad and he probably will not survive that full time. Um, you know, he really deserved the death penalty for this. And because he cut a deal, he didn't get it. I mean, in Idaho, what he did, you know, um, aggravated rape and murder, it was murder one. So we'll see. We'll keep you updated on Brian Drips as well. Uh, let's see. Chad enters um, a not guilty plea. Bodies were found on his property. Would it then stand to reason that his only defense would be to blame Lori. Uh, yeah, and Alex. I mean, we always have the convenient dead person to blame. And that, the thing is, I don't think it's going to matter. There, when it comes down to it, this is all going to be about those cell phone pings and where everyone was at certain times. You know, that's how they got through the preliminary hearing. There's a lot more... Uh, to it. So, you know, I mean, it's not unusual for someone to plead not guilty when they're charged with capital crimes. I really do think it's going to come down to being about the death penalty. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's see. Is there anything about Lori and Chad testifying against each other? No, they certainly can. They certainly can. Um, they were not married. You know, and, and even in Idaho, if you commit a crime, if you commit a crime together, then spousal privilege doesn't apply anymore. They wouldn't have it anyway because they were married after all of these people were dead. The only person who died after they were married was was Alex. Everyone else died before they were married. So they could, in fact, testify against each other. We don't know if that will happen. Uh, we're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, Cranky, yes, you, you watched the live stream about the victim impact statements. Wow, that was that was tough. Yeah, you know, Chad is going to try to say that about Alex, but you know what? If Chad's cell phone was there too, what does that tell you? You know, they have a lot. They have a lot we don't know. You know, the, the, that grand jury came back with murder one, which means that they have a lot. So I'm not too worried about... Um, the evidence, and honestly, I will be very surprised if we actually go to trial on these cases, either 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 person. I just don't feel like they will. I feel like they will take pleas. Uh, Cranky says, yes, I could see him saying he didn't know, even though Chad had no job and was probably home. Right, and they're using their cell phones to prove where they were. You think about it, you know, our phones are tracking our GPS all the time about where we are, they're pinging to various cell towers, those kinds of things. The phone on Alex didn't only prove that he was at Chad's house, it could prove where on his property he was with um, with a, a margin of error of like five feet. 
So yeah, they've got a lot. We know they have DNA. We know that there's some kind of DNA blood evidence that they were trying to, they were arguing about recently. So there's a lot. I'm honestly not afraid that they won't be convicted. I truly feel that they will be, but I feel it will be in pleas. I, I just don't see either one of them facing three capital murder charges and going to a jury. Just don't see it happening. Well, that is the update for tonight. Katie and I will be back tomorrow with the Psychic Hour. We're going to be doing lots of readings, so you don't want to miss that. We will be back this weekend with some pop-ups, and of course, we'll be back next week with some brand new cases. And if anything else comes out of the woodwork, we will certainly be back here to let you know. We really appreciate you being here and participating in whatever way that you do, whether you listen, you watch, you're in the live streams, you're listening after the fact, you're on Facebook, wherever. We really appreciate your participation because we couldn't do this without you. So if you have a case you would like us to do, go to truecrimeparanormalpodcast.com and there is a place to send us a request and we will do that for you. Don't forget, we do have a Patreon and at Patreon, we do some special shows that are only for our patrons. It's a small amount that helps us to pay for what we have to pay for to run a podcast like this. And it also just shows your support for us as creators, which we really appreciate. And it gives you extra content. You can get a couple of extra shows a month over there. So check that out. Just go to patreon.com and look for True Crime Paranormal. And as always, thank you all so much. This has been True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Have a great night. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.